every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Kimberly Storin, the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at Zayo Group, a leading telecommunications company with a network that spans 141,000 route miles across North America and Europe. In this episode, Kimberly shares with us how she built an end-to-end marketing organization within Zayo and demonstrated the value of the marketing function. She dives into expanding their buying committee and creating a Shark Tank mindset where people share their best ideas. She discusses ensuring that marketing is both the voice of and voice to the market. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. And now please enjoy this interview between Kimberly Storin, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at Zayo Group, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today I'm joined by a special guest. Kim, how are you? Good. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you on the show, chat marketing, chat Zayo, everything in between. Let's get into it. What was your first job in marketing? My first job in marketing was actually crisis communications at a PR agency right out of college. So 21 years old, worked on bankruptcies and executive compensation scandals and some other crazy situations that no 21-year-old should probably be handling. But it was really fun. I learned a ton and it jumped, you know, got me right into kind of the half of my job, right, which is the communications function, and then slowly made my way over to to the marketing side after that. And flash forward to today, tell us what it means to be CMO of Zayo Group. <laughs> so at Zayo, you know, we are a about $2.5 billion business. We are in the telecom and services space. And so for us, you know, marketing is pretty unique because we have some of the biggest customers in the world. They really trust us and turn to us to to deliver the network that that powers their most mission critical and next generation innovations. And so for us like we have you know a pretty broad mandate from a marketing standpoint, one of which is to retain and maintain our our solid reputation in the market, especially for for those big enterprise and hyperscale customers. At the same time that we are really working to uncover new opportunities and new prospects for the business. So marketing really plays a critical role in, in both of those elements. And let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, You are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? 
where we go and feel honest and trusted. And then you share those deepest, darkest <laughs> marketing secrets. Zooming out, tell us a little bit more about Zeo and your customers. Yeah, so absolutely. So like I just mentioned, we've got a pretty big and robust base of customers that have trusted us for the last 15 plus years. And so that is a, you know, a source of pride for our organization. It's a, you know, an opportunity for us to really continue to deliver the network that they need where they need it with the service and the customer experience that they've come to expect from Zayo. And, you know, as we've continued to, to acquire other organizations, we've continued to build out our product capabilities added new innovations, really started to paint a picture and a vision of where networks should be heading, which is more in the network as a service realm. And so as we look to you know, continue to drive those product capabilities, we are you know, continuing to expand our customer base. And, and it's not just those big hyperscalers and big data centers and big enterprises, but also how do we expand you know, beyond the, the core base of our customers? So we have a pretty broad, you know, base of, of customers, but a lot of name brands that depend on us for, for their most trusted and mission critical you know, technology. Yeah. And obviously, you know, buying committees varying greatly mm -hmm. from, you know, enterprise to enterprise. What does that buying committee look like for y'all? What do those personas look like for y'all? It really depends on the customer that we're talking about, right? So for the more, what I would call digitally progressive customers that we work with, we are working with dedicated network architecture and infrastructure teams. For those that are less digitally progressive, we find ourselves working you know, directly with the CIO and, and usually the network team in that case may report up through them. But the more, you know, the more that network is a core piece of what they bring to the table, for their customers, the more often that we are working with dedicated network architects which is really great. But the buying committee continues, just like we're seeing across B2B marketing in general, we're also seeing that our buying committee continues to expand as procurement is getting more involved. CIOs are involved you know, to some extent, whether they own the network or they're just a you know, quote unquote influencer in the network decisions. And then of course, you know, finance plays a big role, especially as we're talking about capital investments that need to be made from you know, both companies in order to, to build some of these networks to these really large scale data centers. So it's a pretty varied buying committee. And, and again, it really depends on the type of customer that, that we're talking about, but it makes it hard for marketing, right? Because it means that we've got a lot more people to bring into, to our realm and a lot more people for us to influence. And, and that's why, you know, product marketing and the role that product marketing plays within my team is so critical because that right. you know, our product and vertical marketing team is the one that's educating the rest of our marketing team on what those personas look like, how they differ based on the type of company and the vertical or the industry that they're in. And so, you know, for me, ensuring as a CMO, it's a non-negotiable for me to own product marketing because... Right. Product marketing is what makes great marketing. Right. For that reason. Yeah, that exactly. makes sense. hundred percent. And yeah, zooming out, what's your marketing strategy? Yeah. So I think, let me just kind of back up and like, 
I mean, ultimately, and I'm sure you're hearing this from a lot of people right now, for us, we are really building a model of efficient growth. And that's yeah. really important is the, you know, we're in this kind of unknown, lots of uncertainty in the market. And so the idea of efficient growth is, is really critical for Zayo right now. And so that starts with improving our brand position and our reputation and ensuring that we're positioned as the leading communications infrastructure provider. And we want to continue to increase awareness, consideration, purchase intent, both with our customers that we currently have, right? Because that's our you know, cheapest path, our most efficient path to, to growth, as well as uncovering those prospects. And so when we kind of break that down, it's you know, about cultivating the base, fostering those strong customer relationships, making sure that we have transparent, we have pro, like, proactive communications to retain our current customers and to minimize the churn. And then it's also about nurturing new buyers. So ensuring that we are delivering increased bookings, that we have, you know, that we're delivering marketing attributed revenue, and that we're looking at the full funnel. I don't want to be in kind of that MQL to SQL death spiral that a lot of CMOs get caught up in. And so for me, it's really about helping the team get to the point of driving high intent programs and arming sellers with the collateral that they need to go you know, prospect as well. So kind of two sides to that new buyer coin. And then the last piece of efficient growth is obviously efficiency. And so that's about our high performing team, our efficient team, and ensuring that that we're leveraging agility, right? So not maybe a capital A agile, but mm -hmm. a yeah. lowercase a agile organization and culture, and that we're using AI where we can to, to augment and supercharge the marketing team to drive more efficient growth. Yeah. You mentioned product marketing being a core part of you know, your team, what's the rest of the organizational makeup of the Zao marketing team? Yeah. So we have a revenue marketing team. So we, we specifically call our demand generation revenue marketing, which I think is really, really important. It was really important for us because when I started at Zao, we didn't have a true or traditional marketing function. Some marketers sat in IT, a couple of communications folks sat in finance, and then product marketing sat in product. And so when we brought the teams together and created this holistic kind of end-to-end -end marketing organization, the words that we used really mattered. And so by associating revenue with the idea of marketing was really important in terms of how we drove you know, the value of marketing across the organization and, right. and brought people you know, who hadn't been used to what a marketing function can deliver, brought them along on that journey. So we call our demand generation function revenue marketing, and that now consists of both marketing operations and revenue marketing. So we brought those teams together. They're really focused on the end-to-end -end identification of opportunities all the way through to working with the sales team to ensure that there's high intent and, and that those opportunities can turn into like legitimate revenue. We also have our product marketing and vertical marketing team, which obviously great product marketing drives great demand gen. It also drives great sales enablement. So they are the cornerstone in our intersection with our sales enablement team and, you know, work extremely closely with our product team and our sales organization 
So they are, you know, our product marketing team is really the glue between those two other organizations. Then we have our corporate marketing team, which is, you know, what I would say, everything shared service. So from events to content, to social media, to web, all of those shared services piece sit within our corporate marketing function. And then we've got our communications function as well, which owns executive comms and public relations, media relations. So all of those pieces come together and, and we pretty much have the, the full end to end, you know, from the brand awareness, the brand reputation, all the way down through generating revenue and, and ensuring that, that those revenue opportunities become real revenue. Turn into rev opportunities. Um, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Any other thoughts on sort of strategy within whether it's your team or or the overall marketing strat or or any other thoughts on on how this all links into demand and that new revenue function? Yeah. So I mean, I think the biggest thing for us is really ensuring that we are the voice of and the voice to the market. Mm. And again, just kind of reinforcing that importance of of product marketing and the role that they play. So bringing those market insights, bringing that voice of the customer back into what we do every single day. And, and so that I think really, it really is the core because that's how we drive intent. Right. You can't drive intent, you know, you're just gonna be passing crappy leads over. And that's where that like MQL to SQL death cycle begins because if you don't really understand the market and you're not really speaking to the market, it's really hard to, to drive high intent. Yeah. So our goal is to not, you know, be a lead, a lead generation or lead passing organization. It's really about being the voice of and the voice to the market. I love that. That's a great, great way of thinking about it. Cause if it's all about passing leads back and forth, it's very executional and it's honestly not, not really, you know, the true nature of the function anyways. And I think that's the, I mean, that's why this function is ultimately at the intersection that we are at. Right. And the fact that there's, I mean, there's so little value sometimes attributed to the marketing function. You know, we are the only function with the ING on the back of our name. (laughs) We own 10,000 tools in our toolbox, right? But at the end of the day, we're like, we really just need to be the voice of and the voice to the market. We need to be thinking, if we're thinking about in-quarter revenue, like we're not doing our job. Our job is to be thinking about next quarter, next year, next five years, and how do we position the brand for the maximum you know, growth efficiency? And, and yet so often I talk to CMOs who are stuck in this, well, what did you do for me this quarter? Right. And if that's where marketing is focused, then marketing will never be successful. I've never heard anyone say after, you know, goodness, uh, over a thousand marketing episodes, someone say, we're the only function of the ING in the, in the title. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. But it's true, right? There's no producting officer or selling officer. We're the only ones. Yeah. Let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game where we open up the playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? So uncuttable. I mean, I feel like at the end of the day, everything can be cuttable depending on 
who you're trying to reach and what the strategy is. But I think when I kind of step back holistically, the things that are like untouchable are the top of the funnel, right? We can't, I think so many times we get trapped with this like decision of where to invest and brand and the top of the funnel is so critical for the long-term health of the pipeline and the, the funnel overall that if I had to say there was anything that was untouchable, it would really be our PR efforts, our, our brand and our customer relationship efforts. And then when you look at like the demand gen and the revenue marketing efforts, those things flex, right? The, the decisions that we're making of which channels to go after or which vehicles to use or like those things will always be in flex because the market's going to be moving. There'll be new opportunities. We'll have new products with different audiences. And so we have to be super agile when it comes to, to the techniques and the tactics that we use to, to take you know, the top of the funnel and move it down. Because at the end of the day, it's not really a funnel. It's moments that matter. So we have to be there for those moments that matter, no matter when those things happen. And you can't do that if you're not investing in who you are from a positioning standpoint and a brand standpoint. I love the idea of moments that matter because it speaks to sort of how, how marketing meets sort of action, right? It's like, if you create a little moment that matters, if you create a bit of brand sentiment, if you create a bit of open loop for somebody that, that wants to find out, you know, a little bit more, that that is where people go from sort of like just seeing something to taking action. And if the moment matters enough to them, then, you know, then they'll take action. And if that moment is boring or uninteresting or not tailored to them, or, you know, doesn't have a good call to action of something that else that they can do, then it just sort of floats away and it's blends in with everything else. And it's about making those stand out and cut through the noise. How do you think about spending your, your, your money so that it does stand out so that it does break through the noise? Well, I mean, I think it's the consistency that matters, right? So being able to, you know, think about the life cycle and relationships that you have with customers and prospects across every potential vehicle. That's where, the, like the marketing mix really does matter because you don't know what's going to be the trigger point for those moments that matter. We think we do, right? We can, we can be <laughs> as like predictive as we want to, and we can use all of the tools at our disposal. But, you know, I use a great example of even a decision that I had to make as a buyer this year. And we were evaluating new marketing automation platforms. I've been talking to vendors 18 months. And, and ultimately like my trigger point was that like my CIO was leaving the organization and was able to give a blessing to something as, as part of a parting gift to me as the marketing head. And I couldn't have planned for that. You know, our vendors couldn't have planned for that. But when that moment happens, so there's moments that matter that are part of the natural inflection. And there's moments that matter that will happen that are completely unplanned for, right? right? Mm-hmm. And and being able to to have that consistency of the brand and to spend your dollars in a consistent matter manner across the whole year for those moments that matter, like that's really the key. And I think sometimes we forget, like 
we work so much on this like cyclical mindset, trying to hit with, you know, big events or big moments in news and, and all of that matters. But if you don't have a baseline and consistency of having your brand out there in front of the people that will ultimately either influence or make those decisions, you're going to be stuck with the people forgetting who you are and your relevance. And so I really am you know, driving the team to be thinking about that consistency over the course of time and then having those, you know, those cyclical points on top of it, but to, to never really step back from having that consistent voice in the market or, you know, relationship building in the market with our customers and prospects. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Any, any campaigns or things that, you know, jumped out for, you know, things that you spent money on top of funnel wise. So our key to success in the past 12 months has been, I'm sure you've heard the concept of brand gen, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Of being able to connect our top of the funnel activities, our brand level activities to, to more revenue generating. And so our corporate marketing team has been partnering really closely with our revenue marketing team to, to create and execute these brand gen activities. Love it. And, and a couple of, you know, ways that that has manifested itself is that we, you know, we did a um, sponsorship of a IT oriented podcast, for example, where Zayo was the sponsor. We were able to work with the podcast to, to ensure that the topics hit on network related topics. We were able to work with the producers to ensure that we were bringing the right like potential guests to the table. And then we were able to work with our revenue marketing team to progress you know, the interested podcast guests into to our funnel and introduce them to to some of our sales leaders and and relevant folks at the same time that we were using the podcast itself as a as an opportunity to communicate more broadly and share our thought leadership around the the topics that we know that our industry and our market and our customers care about. So I found that the you know the partnership between those two teams, like very often you see corporate marketing and revenue marketing working in silos. And so we've broken down those silos, brought those teams together to be thinking about how those brand activities can really better influence the, uh, the revenue marketing activities. We also launched a, a campaign this year that's just starting to, to get momentum that's focused on a very specific group of our, our audience, which is carriers. So we also serve other telecom carriers and help them build out their network. And so we've, we've taken it upon ourselves to do a really strong end to end, you know, top to bottom of the funnel brand gen approach, looking at that specific audience and what it's been able to, to help us do is get really specific on the pain points and being able to solve those pain points in a way that a broader brand message really couldn't. And so being in the right places at the right time, focus specifically on the needs of that audience, but thinking about the full funnel from, you know, the top to the bottom has really enabled us to, you know, to drive more revenue with that group, but also to ensure that we're more relevant and, and that we'll be top of mind, not just for the near-term opportunities, but also for that long-term relationship building. I love it. I think about the, the, brand and stuff all the time, obviously, because, you know, we create podcasts and video series for people. So as, as we're creating those, you know, creating content series, 
and this is why I'm such a proponent of building content series and event series and all these things that have that brand gen component to it rather than just, you know, consistently, you know, like keeping that out of your marketing mix because it fits multiple different, you know, parts of the funnel and it fits sort of different engagement levels for the, for your audience, which is really nice too, is like giving people a choice on how they want to engage, whether it's like, Hey, you know, go to a digital, you know, event that you just can can kind of hang out and lurk or go do something in person or, or go, you know, be on a podcast or speak at an event or, or just listen and, you know, and, and while you're walking the dog and I, I just, you know, I love that stuff. And I think it, it allows you to hear different types of things than you would normally do if you're just going on someone's website and reading a white paper or things like that. Exactly. And I mean, we all know people are not really doing that anymore. They're going, they're going to chat GPT <laughs> before they're going to search at this point. Right. right? <laughs> well, and I think that people just want to hear from their peers and I think that people want to hear from other people of what they're actually doing exactly. in the field. And, and, and I think it's really hard to tell customer stories. Like, I think it's just like, you know, so much, mm-hmm. there's so many approvals and PR things and all that to, to get customer stories approved in general. So if you can help yeah. tell your customer stories in ways that, are their actual story and not just their story with your product. And that's even better too. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. Okay. What about something that maybe you've invested in the past and you're not going to be investing in, in the future or something that you, you think is, is just mostly cuttable budget item. I mean, again, I don't, I mean, I think kind of everything at the end of the day is, you know, beyond those consistent brand engagements is a cuttable item. And it should be because we have to be super agile and we have to be constantly looking at the mix and where we're spending our budget. And so I don't know that there's anything that I would say to folks that's like, you know, a specific must cut or playbook item, because I think it really depends on who your audience is and, and ensuring that you're in the right place at the right time. And I think that differs for every company and every audience. So I don't even know that I would go to that. I mean, everything that we've done that we're no longer investing in is because not that it was a bad idea, but maybe it doesn't work anymore, right? The market has changed or our audience has changed um, or our products have changed. And so we're constantly iterating and, and dialing up, dialing down. Yeah. How do you think about like making experiments and experimental budgets and what's your, what's your 10% experiment budget look like? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, I love the idea of a shark tank approach <laughs> and having people, right. Bring in great ideas and, and funding those great ideas. And, you know, I'm trying to embed that agile spirit into our team overall of, you know, pilot things. And if it doesn't work, kill it quickly. If it does work, then let's figure out how we adjust the overall budget in order to fund and scale those things. And so for us, like we kind of embedded the concept of piloting and experimental and and, and agile into the way that the teams work. And, And one of my mantras is none of my leaders have budget, right? It is our budget collectively, and it is up to us as a leadership team to determine what's going to be the most impactful use of that budget. And so breaking that mindset was a little bit hard, right? People wanted to know, well, what's my budget? Well, what are your ideas? Let's bring those to the table and and let's prioritize as a leadership team because we all holistically want to do what's in service of the business, what's in service of, of the marketing priorities. 
And so it was that mindset shift that I think has really helped us in terms of like being in a perpetual shark tank. When I was at IBM, one of the things that I loved that Michelle Peluso did when she was our CMO was have that shark tank mentality. And I wanted to be able to instill that and kind of break through the matrix silos of, you know, we had to go and every quarter present these big ideas and get this shark tank investment. Um, and I wanted to embed that spirit of the shark tank into our day to day. And so for me, how I was able to do that was by kind of breaking down the silos and, and, you know, we look at our budget holistically and are, are investing in the right ideas across the whole marketing team. So not trying to allocate too much early on to, to folks. How do you view your website? I mean, the website is the entry point for the Zayo brand. And as a, you know, our customers know who we are, right? I mean, no doubt we've got some of the biggest and, uh, and most technically savvy customers in our portfolio. But when you take, you know, the broader look, we are not a consumer brand like many of our, you know, our competitors. We're not Verizon. We're not AT&T. And so we do have to leverage that website for a lot of, you know, of the market. It is often the entry point into us as a brand. Mm-hmm. So we do want to showcase a, you know, a different, more approachable look and feel. We do want to have the content that they need, whatever stage of the journey that they're in, whether they're just starting to learn who we are or they're looking for detailed technical specs and solutions. We do want to tell more stories, right? We want to share, we want to start to position ourselves as an employer of choice and, and so having more stories, whether that's about customers um, and, and the solutions and how they're helping our customers in the market, or whether that's about who we are as an organization and why, you know, why a potential you know, new hire would want to, to work for us. And so it really is, you know, it's an opportunity for us to create our brand, especially with not having a consumer brand, that we have to be able to, to leverage that website as the first line of defense in many cases for how people are learning about us, right? They're searching for us, we're showing up and that's the first place they're landing, you know, long before they've seen us at an event or, you know, seen us, you know, in advertisements, et cetera. Any other ways that you measure success? You know, I know obviously this has been a bit of a a journey for you in sort of like building out this marketing function and, Mm -hmm. and, and building out the entire team and, and changing sort of, how it's all done, but I feel like measuring success is a key part of that and, and making sure that you can, you know, prove that to the rest of the team. Oh, absolutely. And, and so we do, you know, we have a monthly marketing ops review where we're really getting into the down and dirty details of what's working, what's not every single month from, you know, the top of the funnel brand and PR efforts to the shared services, to our revenue marketing activities Um, for how we're presenting that to the broader audience, we really are focusing on, you know, marketing attributed revenue. So the value of marketing overall to the business, as well as marketing sourced opportunities, right? So higher intent, but, you know, where we, where are we really partnering with the sales team to, to uncover the longer term opportunities that they can, we can, and they can nurture and and prospect. 
So we're sharing a, a fairly robust dashboard that you know I'm talking to on a regular basis with our sales leaders, our product leaders, as well as our you know, overall corporate leadership of how marketing is contributing to the organization. And as always, I mean, as expected, right? The We know that there's a, a lot more kind of art than science in a lot of the, you know, the marketing attribution. We can all get into the last touch, first touch, multi-touch debate. Um, but I think it's the the context and the stories and and the partnership that is what ultimately demonstrates the value that marketing brings to the table. So I can be up there presenting as many dashboards as I want, but it's the the value of my chief product officer and the value of my chief sales officer talking about how marketing is helping to provide the air cover, unlock opportunities, bringing high intent opportunities to the table that never would have been there. That actually is a, you know, resonates more with our broader leadership team than even me telling the story. And so I really focus on, you know, obviously having that really nice tight dashboard, understanding that there's a little bit of art and science that's, you know, pulled into that dashboard. And, you know, given the fact that like three years ago, we couldn't do any of this, right? We couldn't even really measure a single line item on that dashboard until the middle of last year. We didn't have a functioning website when I started. And so building all of that from scratch, you know, we, we understand that there's a lot of art built in there, but we've come so far in terms of being able to measure where we couldn't measure anything before that I think we've built a lot of respect across the organization as, you know, being scrappy, being efficient, you know, being able to, to work directly with sales and product to build the KPIs that actually matter to the business. I never want to be the CMO that is green when the business is yellow or red. And I never want to be the CMO who is red when the business is right. green. And so ensuring that I'm in lockstep with product and sales and how we look at the value of marketing holistically is really critical. And so I think ultimately, you know, having those voices pounding the table for our function, especially as a pretty nascent function in the organization has been critical to, to our success overall. I love that. That's a great, that's a really good point there. And I think that is a bit of the, more the old school sort of like, Hey, marketing's green. We, we sent over a bunch of leads. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's yeah. no nope. recipe for, uh, for failure. <laughs> okay. Any other thoughts on plays or tactics or spending money or stuff you're excited to invest in or anything like that? No, I mean, I think the biggest thing is probably you've heard from everyone at this point, right? As we look to build that model of efficient growth, like understanding how generative AI can help augment our team and accelerate is really critical. And so we've assigned an AI champion within the marketing organization who is really leading the charge to understand where we should be investing, what's worth piloting, what's worth not piloting. And so that's been a really fun place where we're investigating of how does that supercharge our team. And where from a insights perspective, where from a content perspective or a social perspective, can we really be leveraging and a predictive, obviously demand gen perspective, where should we be leveraging AI to, to help us, you know, continue to be more efficient and, and have a better experience for our customers and prospects. So that's been, that's been a fun one to, to really focus on over the last 12 months. Okay, great. 
I love it. Let's get to the dust up. Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly. As we've got punches and kicks. Where we talk about healthy detention, whether that's with your board, your sales teams, your competitors, or anyone else. Kim, have you had a memorable dust up in your career? So I have to admit, you know, I, I grew up in Texas in the 80s where like conflict was hard for women. So I am very conflict adverse. So so dust ups are not really like where I feel super comfortable, just to be really honest. But as I've kind of grown in my career and and moved up the ranks, I've had to learn how to have constructive conflict. And so I'm getting a little bit more comfortable with with that element of of embracing that as part of who I am as a leader. But I don't know that I've had necessarily a you know super memorable dust up. I've had a lot of situations where my good intent didn't necessarily come through to the other person mm-hmm. <laughs> and or, or I communicated something where I thought the intent was clear. And so a lot of what I've had to do over you know, the past few years is really build my communication style and ensure that I'm context setting and that I'm thinking about, you know, when's the right time to bring in the right people and, and ensure that, you know, I'm not stepping on toes. So that's been, you know, a big piece of how I've continued my leadership journey. And then I, you know, I have worked in some, you know, toxic cultures where, you know, there's backstabbing. And I've also worked in some less toxic, but still challenging situations where there's some like front stabbing where you see it coming, <laughs> but, but at least it's, you know, it's, it's happening and you know, it's happening versus finding out in the, you know, in the aftermath that the knife was coming for your back as a, a Texan who grew up in the eighties, like I try to avoid as much conflict as possible, but I'm trying to embrace it a little bit more. I think it's important. I love it. All right, let's get to our final segment. Quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers, just like how Qualified helps companies generate pipeline quickly. You can go to Qualified.com to learn more, how to tap into your greatest asset, your website, to identify your most valuable visitors and instantly, and I mean instantly, start sales conversations quick and easy, just like these questions. If you use Salesforce, you got to use Qualified to just supercharge that pipeline. Go to Qualified.com to learn more. Kim, quick hits. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. Number one, do you have a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? I teach Pilates. Ooh, that's fun. That's We should do that. (laughs) A little marketing Pilates (laughs) on Pipeline Visionaries here. Okay, what about a favorite book, podcast, or TV show that's you've been checking out? So I have to say I love Succession. I don't care. I can watch it all the time. I love, I love, you talk about dust-ups, like <laughs> those are the dust-ups that, I, that keep you entertained. So I love the show Succession. And then from a podcast standpoint, I am, I'm a pretty regular listener of The Daily, The New York Times, just getting a little bit deeper on, on the story of the day. My favorite Succession line, unfortunately, it's not family friendly, so we can't do it on this show, but, <laughs> but you got to love the F off constantly that show so good <laughs> if you weren't in marketing what do you think you'd be doing 
oh, I'd be a private detective for sure. Capers. I'm not really into murders or, you know, things like that. I really want to be like focusing on more like art thievery and capers. Art thievery. I like that. What's your best advice for a first time CMO? Find your champions internally, right? Whether that's sales or product or both and, and focus on first team. I think that sometimes the biggest mistake that we make as first time CMOs thinking that our marketing team is the most important team that we have to, to manage. And the reality is that our peers and our first team are, and, and that's hard, right? Because you're working with your teams every single day and you want to, to help them develop and grow as marketers, but ultimately it's going to be those relationships and that collaboration with your peers that really makes or breaks your success. Well, Kim, it has been wonderful chatting with you. For our listeners, you can go to zao.com to learn more and check out all their sweet marketing. Thanks so much for joining. We really appreciate it. And we will talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks again to our friends at qualified.com, a conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.